0: Let me tell you the story of how Taiwan beat the coronavirus. Under 100 miles off the coast of mainland China, the island of Taiwan was predicted to be one of the hardest hit by the virus. And yet, as of June 12, they've only recorded 443 cases and only seven deaths from a population of nearly 24 million people, which is remarkable. The SARS outbreak of 2003 had taught the Taiwanese government to have an action plan in place should an outbreak ever happen again, and when the coronavirus hit, they moved quickly. Using artificial intelligence and big data applications, they integrated their National Health Insurance Database with their customs and immigration database, cross-matching people's travel history with their recent clinical symptoms, alerting people high-risk via their phones what to do next. By integrating data and creatively applying technology, along with quick measures like immediate travel bans, testing and retesting people who had previously unexplained symptoms, they successfully curbed the first wave of the pandemic. The hard lessons learned from the SARS epidemic had prepared them this time. And hopefully, what we've learned from the first wave of the coronavirus pandemic will prepare us for an early, decisive response next time. Taiwan's story is important as it gives us reason to be optimistic for the future. Welcome to episode number eight of the Curtis and Coulter podcast, a series of short weekly podcasts with myself, Mark Coulter, and my colleague Simon Curtis, where each week we have a special guest giving tips and advice to help people during the current economic crisis. This week's episode is the second part of our two-part interview with leading digital health expert, World Health Organization, and Google Health Advisor, Mr. John Nosta. In part two, he speaks with Simon about the technology trends he sees for the future of digital health post-COVID-19. And more importantly, he shares his optimism for what will be a bright future. So I'll hand this over to
1: Simon for part two. Enjoy. (laughs) one of the things that we really want to get your, your take on here is what are your optimism levels for us reverting back to normal? Obviously, there's the, we're, we're venturing into the summer now. There's a lot of data being presented daily, um, weekly. Are we going to get back to normal from a, a societal perspective? Or if not, what do you predict the new norm will be and, uh, and why? Well,
2: I... I'm afraid of using words like the new normal or the world that was, it just feels intrinsically apocalyptic to me. And Mm -hmm. I, I, maybe, maybe I'm just the optimist, but I I do believe that we can manage this condition. I do believe that when you look at the numbers that we can get ahead of and beyond COVID-19 and it's my expectation that 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we look back and say, do you remember that, that, that Conan 15, what was it called? Oh, yes, COVID-19. I hope it will be a memory that has had significant impact on our lives, but not in a clinical epidemiological way, but in a way that pushes technology out of the tube. Once, Once technology is out of the tube, it's hard to get back in. So we're seeing the adoption of things like telemedicine, that will help not only transform the nature of clinical care but also bend the cost curve get care to where it's needed so so i'm i'm very optimistic you know simon i bet you that 2 months ago if i asked you about the spanish flu you probably wouldn't be able to date it for me
1: yep you're you're pretty much on point i knew i i knew it was in the uh post-World War I or around that?
2: Something like that. I bet you you wouldn't have been able to tell me that there were three outbreaks. So uh, that's
1: as far as I know. It, um,
2: uh, yeah, basically, Everybody, Everybody's become an epidemiologist lately. And I think that, that, that sort of pseudo-clinical science that we've all adopted, and I'm guilty of it too, has been influenced by social issues, have been influenced by political issues, mm-hmm. have been influenced by... By, by the media, one side, the other side, top, bottom. And it, it's become this hodgepodge of information. My expectation is that this might become like a well-managed Spanish flu that will go off into our distant memories. And what is left is a society that has advanced technologically to a new level of, of innovation and a new level of acceptance.
1: That's uh, very nicely put, and obviously that brings us on to essentially your sweet spot, digital health. This is the, the, the beautiful flower that's been growing the past 10 years, but this could um, explode into a, um, an even larger creative boom than, than that of late. So how do you think this pandemic could drive technical uh, utilization in healthcare beyond what we have now?
2: You know, we've all talked about um, exponential change, right? We have all sorts of – everything is titled exponential something or other to the point where it's almost meaningless. And that, and what's intrinsic to the exponential curve is that sudden rapid rise or an inflection point. And, and I think that is all sort of theoretically – True that we do see a lot of that. But what we're seeing now is what I'm calling a triple inflection point. And I think this is very important because there are three things happening at one time that, that will really, really drive technology in new ways. The first is just the technological availability of interesting um, things from the ability to do a, um, a teleconference effectively to at-home devices that can track our EKGs and blood pressure and things like that. So the technological timing is perfect, but that's only part of the equation. We also have a government and regulatory body that is not being an obstructionist, but is being an advocate. And that shift from obstructionist to advocate is making us really have the opportunity to change the laws, like with telemedicine we can, we can restrict, we can loosen those restrictions and have physicians across state lines, be able to work with people. So that that's extraordinarily important. So number one, it's having the tech Two, it's having the regulatory posture to let it happen. And And probably the most important of that is the third one. And that's the clinical imperative. That's the social imperative. It is the right thing to do. Three months ago, we might've done a telemedicine visit because well, it you couldn't get to the doctor today, we have to do a telemedicine visit because that's the only way the doctor will see us. So that, that moral imperative is really the part of this triad, the triad, this triple inflection point, if you will, that I think is going to take all of that technology and push it into society where it no longer becomes an option, but it becomes an imperative.
1: And uh, following on from that, digital health this drive do you think it has the power or this this culture this uh, this living breathing system now that we're all heavily reliant on do you think this has the culture culture to completely change the us healthcare system because again trying to stay away from politics but from a reform perspective many people are continuously calling out this needs to change it needs to be affordable it needs to be for the masses what can digital health do for that?
2: I'll answer the question in one word. No. <laughs> so, you know, as, as, as big of an optimist as I am, as I do see good news about COVID-19, I do see, you know, good, good news about the technological intrusion into healthcare. Um, is, it, is it the proverbial magic bullet? No, of course not. But I think that it's part of a dynamic that's going to evolve medicine. And so, again, I, I'm optimistic about the role of technology, but I, I think that we have a new insight into the power of some of this information. You know, we all get up and, and look at the weather forecast, right? That's, that's become engaged in our lives. What's the weather today? We even look at a weather map. Well, now a lot of people get up and they look at the COVID data. They look at the curve. Are we on the curve? Are we, are we flat? Have we flattened the curve? It's become a part of our life. So I think that, that data will become part of that, that I will look up uh, my, my heart rate data or my sleep data or my exercise data, recognizing that I can create a weather map of my biology to help drive optimal care. So um, people will, will move along. Some will be early adopters. Some will not want to adopt. You know, some people still want a, uh, a dial phone. They won't even use a push button phone. And the only way to move those people off that curve is to throw the dial phone away. Don't make it available. And that's exactly what we did. We threw the office visit away, something that is absolutely unheard of. Say that six months ago and people would have laughed at you. But today, there is no office visit. All we have is telemedicine. So we are pushing people forward, yelling and screaming. And, and as I said earlier, once the toothpaste of technology is out of the tube, it's very hard to put it back.
1: Wonderful. It's certainly a, a lot's changed in a very short period of time. And uh, I want to thank John for being a, a wonderful guest um, with us this afternoon, shedding some light on his interpretations on, uh, on what's happening out there right now. And, and strictly from a digital health perspective, hopefully the, the future is looking bright. I,
2: I think so. I think that that we are at a unique time in human history things are changing the emergence of things like technology itself like artificial intelligence the role that we as humans have interfacing and engaging with our computer partners will will make this an absolutely amazing time you know ray kurzweil said that the next 100 years will bring with it the, the technological advances of the last 10,000 years. And I think for some of us, that's being condensed even more. 10 years is being pushed into a few months where we're making technology an integral part of our life. And I think we're going to stay with that dynamic.
0: That's episode number eight coming to an end, folks. A big thank you again to John for joining us this week. In addition to John's Noster Lab page mentioned last week, check out John's own website at www.johnnoster.com. If you YouTube him also, you can see his many talks and clips, including TED Talks he's given on topics like artificial intelligence and healthcare, innovation and transformation in life sciences, and various other future of healthcare talks. I have that link as well as other research links for this episode in our own show notes section at www.curtiscoulter.com forward slash podcast. Lastly, once you're on the podcast page, don't forget to subscribe and you'll get notified of new episodes delivered directly to your inbox each week. In the next episode of the Carson Coulter podcast, our special guest is renowned author, entrepreneur, and CEO of audience intelligence company, SparkToro, Mr. Rand Fishkin. Rand gives us his expert tools, tips, and advice on entrepreneurship and content marketing. So don't miss that. So until next week, my friends, stay tuned, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Today's episode was brought to you by Walters Kluwer. They provide trusted clinical technology and evidence-based solutions that engage clinicians, patients, researchers, and students with advanced clinical decision support, learning, research, and clinical intelligence. For more information about their solutions, visit them at advertising.lww.com. And if you're interested in sponsoring a future podcast, please go to com forward slash podcast for more information.